Welcome to the Limerick Post News Roundup. I'm your host, Keen Reinhardt. This is a podcast where we bring you the week's news in bite-sized portions. I'm now joined in studio by Bernie English. Hi, Bernie. Keen. How are you? Not too bad. How are you getting on? I'm very good. It's nearly Friday. Nearly there, yeah. And a big day on Friday with these elections coming Absolutely, up. Absolutely, yes. Gosh, is this the hottest contested election we've ever seen in Limerick? 92 hopefuls for 40 seats. And it's what hard to tell... Fight. What, what way things are going to swing, really? Extremely isn't it? difficult. Yeah. Um, there's, you know, there seems to be a kind of shift in consciousness all over the place, especially with the fact that you have, you know, you have some stalwarts of the of the political scene standing down in Limerick this this time. John Gilligan in the city, he's he's been an institution in Limerick City and County Council, and Noel Gleeson, who has given an amazing twenty five years of service, public service in the county, Kilmallock, Capamore. Um, people of this caliber and people of this experience are saying, that's it, we've done our bit, we're, we're stepping away. And, you know, it's sort of anybody's game in some in some of the seats. And uh, Alan Jake's article on the front page this week looks at that and we are going to see new faces because of it. There's seven retiring councillors. Yeah, we're going to have at least seven new, new, new councillors. Maybe one or two of those might be people who've run before. But there's going to be seven new faces in the county. And, you know, change is good in politics. It's always great to have a fresh a fresh input. Um, yeah, Alan has been following this very closely and the Limerick Post have been reporting on it very closely since the beginning of the hustings. And, my gosh, I don't think in all my time in a newsroom I've ever seen so many press releases, so many issues raised, <laughs> so many councillors wanting so much coverage. And, you know, it's great. It's, it's, it, means, it means politics is alive and well and, and people are enthused about it. And that's always a good thing in a democracy. And we see a lot of younger candidates coming in, some older ones coming back into the frame as well. There are some, yes, and yeah, indeed. <laughs> you've pointed out over the last couple of weeks that there's also a, a growth in the number of women entering. Local there is, there are so. more women and there are younger candidates, as you say. Um, I think we've also highlighted the fact that hasn't really been talked about too much before that younger candidates and women candidates but largely younger candidates are finding it quite difficult because these because of the the way that the council is constructed these are people at the start of their other careers yeah so a lot of them will have to decide to either put family on hold put career on hold um the council although although we we berate them roundly it has to be said it's a very busy job and it is a full-time carry-on, you know. There's a lot of meetings there. There's a lot yeah. of meetings, formal meetings to attend. Yeah. But I think the bulk of the work is actually the informal stuff. Mm-hmm. The clinics, the people who meet you in the pub and want you to sort sort out something for them. You know, every councillor ever elected will tell you their doorbell goes 24-7. Uh, and then there's, you know, the school fates, the bake sales, the launching of the tidy towns, the oh, a million different things that happen in every community around Limerick. Great stuff. But your councillor has to be there. Exactly. <laughs> and they're not exactly overpaid. I know a lot of people would say, why should we pay them at all? Yeah. But, you know, frankly, it's not a huge remuneration for the work that's done. That's true, Bernie. And all that article is available on page one of this week. It is indeed. And of course, we'll be bringing you um, coverage next week of yeah. what happened. So by Monday, we should know everything. Unless there's a big recount or something. Well, you never know. <laughs> As I said, there's a lot of candidates. Yeah. 92 candidates for 40 seats. And we also I, have the MEP Elections. We have the we have we European have the European elections, elections yeah. um, which are which are interesting this time round, obviously because of Brexit. Um, not that they're not interesting vote. every time round, but this has a particular uh, free song with with the whole Brexit issue. It might be a confusing uh, ballot paper for a lot of people. Well, you know, we're going to get four ballot papers, which is <laughs> <laughs> like simple souls like myself have enough trouble with one. But um, we, I, I think, really, the advice from from the elections from the elections office is. Take your time, have a think about it, mm-hmm. you know, examine the issues. Don't just 
don't just tick the box. Yeah. Um, particularly the, the divorce issue, the divorce referendum. And the directly elected mayor is also a big issue. Um, you know, think whichever side you come down on, think carefully about it. That's some good advice there, Bernie. So moving on from the elections, we have a story on page 16 of this week's Limerick Post with uh, Amy's memory will live on in a hospital play area. Yes, um, this, this, this is a bittersweet story. Uh, Amy Kyo is a little girl who died from a congenital heart disease which went undiagnosed and she had been admitted to the University Hospital Limerick for tests and scans and all kinds of things and they were referring her on to Crumlin to a paediatric coronary specialist and unfortunately before she ever got there she died in the ambulance in the grounds of the hospital. Two years of age, terribly tragic for her parents, uh, Deirdre and, and, and James and indeed her brothers. But despite all of their difficulties and disappointments, and they did actually take a court case against the HSE in the hospital, which they won. And the fact of the heartache that, that, that they felt at Amy's departure and still feel, she died five years ago, and the, her parents don't want her to be forgotten. Yeah. And in their bravery and compassion, they remembered that when Amy was in hospital and was well enough to get up out of bed, that the only place really she had to go, uh, her mum tells us, was up and down the corridor. So they have raised a massive, more than £5,000 towards providing an outdoor play area for the children. And Deirdre spoke to us during the week and she said, look, I'm doing this for the kids. But you have to admit, it's an absolutely heroic thing to do in the circumstances where their, their daughter was lost while in the hospital. And speaking to her mum, how, how did she feel about it now? Is it lovely to see this play area finally? Well, she's very enthused about the play yeah. area for the children and she intends to make this an annual affair. Um, they started, the, they, they kicked off with a rugby blitz at Rich, Richmond FC and they're going to make this an annual Amy memorial. I think the one thing her parents don't want is that Amy gets forgotten in all of this. You know, court cases, uh, you know, uh, reportage. There's a little girl at the centre of this and a family's grief. Yeah. And uh, the one thing they don't want is for her to be forgotten and I think she never will be now. Well, that's and a lovely way to remember her And it's wonderful that the well, children will yeah. remember her. Yeah. yeah. Brilliant. Bernie, that story is available on page 16 of this week's paper. It is indeed. Yeah. Thanks very much for joining Keen, us. Thank you so much. Have a good weekend. You too. Joining me in studio now is Megan Scully. Megan, how are you getting on? I'm great. How are you? Not too bad. Busy week again. It has been. And um, what a lovely week weather-wise. But obviously today I, did, I got dressed before I looked out the window. And <laughs> I'm dressed for a really summery, sunny day. And it's absolutely bucketing out there. Well, we live in hope. Hopefully after <laughs> after lunch there'll be a bit of sun. I know, I really do hope as well. <laughs> um, Monday we had the political debate on electing a directly elected mayor. Yes, so we drove out to Newcastle West and went to the Red Door Gallery. We and did indeed. We, were, we did, because we, yeah. we, we, did, we drove out together. Um, and John Moran was on the yes side and Councillor Emmett O'Brien was on the no side. So basically we let them at it and they debated out over it and they both proved, uh, had brought very good points to the table and I think it made for a very interesting debate and I wasn't one to be interrupting them and to kind of, you know, stop them or I just let them go and actually have to say I thought it was a very respectable debate as well and uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it, learned loads that I didn't probably know and I feel like now I'm much more informed so uh, if you think you're not informed head over to YouTube search Limerick Post and like subscribe and you can watch all the videos there in the debate and then hopefully you can make your mind up for Friday so what were some of the key points made on your side? Um, so John basically was saying that, you know, if we vote yes for a directly elected mayor, that it's the people that get to vote. So the people of Limerick City and County will decide on who gets to run the city. They'll get like a five year, um, they'll be there for five years. And in five years, they can implement 
loads of different infrastructure and I suppose whatever they decide what they want to do with the money that they have um, as well that mayor will go to Dublin and speak on behalf of Limerick and kind of be the voice of Limerick up in the big smoke um, but then on the um, no side that Emmett is voting it's the um, the councillors that are elected they pick the mayor and the person that they think is most suitable to run the city and um, the, the mayor then is in for one term um, but yeah I have to say both points I could see both sides so it is one of those I guess that's the whole point of a debate you're kind yeah. of torn between the two but no I have to, I have to say it was so interesting to hear um, all the different things that the guys had to say and of course we had uh, the audience have some questions and people on social media as well so uh, yeah I think roll on the next one and that's available on our YouTube channel yes and don't forget to hit like and subscribe for the Limerick Post show also on Monday we were at the launch of Africa Day yes so we went over to Limerick City Council and we got to see um, I suppose I got a taste and a feel for what Africa Day which is actually Africa Week, week. really because there's a and week and it's just over events. a week this time it's the longest Africa celebration in Limerick oh wow I think uh, it's yeah it's the ninth year of it Next year's the 10th year, so they're going to go even bigger and better. And they're already actually looking for people for next year and for ideas for events. So we got to see some traditional um, dance. We got to see some traditional music. And we're actually going to head out a little bit later on and partake in some of the activities. And I know, big weekend for them for Africa Day. Um, Saturday is the International Soccer Tournament. And Sunday, there is a huge event family on the day. market. Yes. The family day. Yeah. yeah. So loads to happen. And it's really cool to see, um, I suppose, all the mix of cultures coming together. So I'm so excited to go down and play some drums. Um, I'm probably going to be absolutely useless and I have a fractured thumb but hopefully I'll be able to do something <laughs> so that's Monday done yep on to Wednesday we went down to Treaty City Brewery oh yes that was so cool Steve has obviously has a brewery anyways out in um, Chiller's Road uh, yes they, where they actually make the manufacture all the beer manufacture is that the right word brew Brew the brew. beer. That's the it's right a word. brewery. So uh, <laughs> you probably brew in a brewery. They brew yeah. the beer. So <laughs> what they've done now is they've gotten this uh, building on Nicholas Street and it's absolutely amazing. They've gutted it out and they've left it like as I suppose traditional as I can I think some of the walls are what, 350 years old something like that yeah and there's a mixture of concrete and limestone which oh, is kind of cool yeah. and the fireplace is all around the place like they've made it as I suppose as authentic as they could and they've left the walls bare which I adore and yeah you can go on tours now and you can find out all about the building all about the city all about Treaty Brewery and of course um you can actually go in and see beer being made. So I think it's so amazing what Steve's done. And I think uh, Treaty City Brewery is such a cool addition to Limerick City Centre. It's unreal. And I think it, the city was crying out for something like that. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Because there's... Especially up that part of town. This, as well. Yeah, there's definitely yeah. not enough place to socialise in Limerick. <laughs> but I just think it was really cool last night. Did you try the chilli beer? I did, indeed. Oh, it yeah. had this chilli beer going around, which basically is three types of chilli, I think, were inside in it. And you could feel it and taste it. And it was uh, it really It leaves a tingle. Huh? It leaves a tingle in it, your throat. What yeah. I found for me, it kind of heated up my, my, my uh, esophagus and then my belly. So I was like, oh, I'm nice and warm oh. now. <laughs> <laughs> Did, what, what was the event like last night? So much fun. Um, they had this guy who was kind of like, um, is the word a fryer? No. Cryer? Oh gosh, the guy with the bell. A cryer, not a fryer. <laughs> a cryer. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> I knew I was, I was kind of in the right way. So he was amazing. Not really, no. <laughs> <laughs> So I uh, went in for a bit of a tour of the building. We'd obviously seen it earlier and we got in a bit of a VIP yeah. tour when we uh, were there for the Limerick mm. Post show. So my friends and I were like, oh, they're like, you show us around. So we did a little walk around the, all the rooms and then um, we had some beer. There was live music, which was amazing. Caledonia, when I, oh, he was singing that. I was like, wow. Uh, loads of amazing people from Limerick City and County were there and, and beyond. And we got to learn more about beer. We got to meet the brewer as well, which I thought was really cool. Got to meet the guys who also make the beer. And uh, the... So, so to launch the, the building, I guess, and to get it going, they smashed a bottle of beer off the wall, which I think everyone was like, oh my God, this is going to be so cool. And we all went out there to watch it. And it actually was like such a cool thing to do. Like that's, that's it's, it's like setting off a boat, isn't it? To yeah. Break the bottle. 
So yeah, that mm. happened. Um, so I guess that place is officially launched and it's open seven days a week, and three tours three a day. Three tours. Yeah. yeah. So I would highly recommend it. I actually want to go back again on a tour. And even the same, I'm got trying a tour. to organize one already. Yeah. Yeah. I think we like to make it more. I just, and I think I'll go back there a few times because I feel like now that is going to become the place when my friends come down from Dublin, you know, for the it's big It's the first smoke. place you show them. I'm going to bring them there. Yeah, yeah definitely. It's a good bit of fun and really local. And a great location. Nicholas Street has loads going on. Yeah. Megan, we have Live at the Docklands coming up next week. Yes, a super busy week. So we've already kind of started putting plans in place. We are going to be live at the Docklands Friday, Saturday and Sunday. We're going to bring you so much closer to the event. For those that live abroad or outside of Limerick or just aren't in Limerick for the weekend, we're going to be there. We're going to be backstage. We're going to be chatting to the artists and we're basically going to be bringing you along to the event as well. So make sure you're following Limerick Post across all social media. And as we mentioned a few times already, our YouTube channel, Limerick Post, like and subscribe so you can uh, get closer to the action. Megan, thanks very much for joining me. Joining me in studio now is John Keogh from Sporting Limerick. John, how are you getting on? I'll go key in ourself. Uh, sure, look, as good as I can be. That's <laughs> <laughs> for more than that. It was a, a mixed weekend for sports, I'd say. Yeah, mainly negative, really, yeah. especially for starting with GA, Limerick, going in. And the hurling kicked off. Yeah. Or Limerick. Hurling, well, yeah. did it kick off as the, yeah. as the did, didn't really kick off. Yeah, um, what you really say, look, you're, you're, they were expecting, they were going in as very firm favourites to beat Cork, given Cork's performance against Tipperary the week before. And of course, Limerick being all-Ireland all Ireland champions, but despite leading by a couple of points at halftime, a very I don't know, poor second half performance, the only way you can describe it, Cork were good, but Limerick weren't weren't really at the races. Um, and Cork deserve, came out deserving winners of seven do points. So. Do you think the week ahead of start for Cork helped they got to prioritise and go back and change yeah, they, things they, they did and Limerick will have to do the same for the Waterford game coming up next weekend um, Sunday week I should say yeah it, look John Kiley won't use that as an excuse and didn't use that as yeah. an excuse he thought Limerick were very ready but they could admit after the game that maybe it was a case of you don't know how ready you are until the championship is around and you play um, there's no, they won't use any excuses Limerick were beaten fairly comfortably and comprehensively on the day and now the game against Waterford and Walsh Park on Saturday, Sunday June the 2nd becomes a must win it's obviously a must win for Waterford it yeah, might be even too teams. late for Waterford yeah. but for Limerick if they have any hopes of trying to hold on to their All-Ireland or keep going in their hope to win two in a row um, they have to win that game or get something from the game as John Kiley said I'd say they have to win it and then Maybe a draw against Clare Tiff might be enough if they win the other games. But look, there's permutations too early for permutations yet. It was just a very disappointing overall. You had a big crowd, well over 30,000 at the game. Majority of them Limerick. And although the atmosphere lifted at times for Graham Mulcahy's goal in the immediate, immediate aftermath, great atmosphere in the first half, but the crowd didn't have much to shout about in the second half. Limerick were very, as Kieran Carey described it, leggy and looked lethargic. Um, you know, John Kiley after the game himself, as I said, pulled no punches. It wasn't good enough. And so, what has to change here? Well, if I, if I the answer to that now, <laughs> I would be sitting here with you. Um, well, number one, they have to. They did look leggy, and it was, it was a big concern watching the game throughout, even in the first half. That things just, even though they were playing at a decent enough level, the ball going into the forwards. Look, Cork played very well as well. You have to take that into account. What changes? Um, I don't know, Seamus Flanagan would be one player that would be bandied about who started the All-Ireland final and had a great season last year for Limerick. Came on as sub but seemed to have picked up a hamstring injury so his availability for the Waterford game we don't know as of yet. 
if you're talking about changes player wise, I, I think John Kylie will back his yeah. is is starting fifteen to serve him so well. Or the bones of the starting fifteen, it might be one or two changes, but I'd say he'll give him he'll he'll turn around and say, Look, you're the lads now, lads, and even another chance if not. Season's well, over type of thing. The so. last few All Ireland winners we've had did come out slightly sluggish. Yeah, you've seen. This, if you just take the last two, Tipperary and yeah. Galway, Galway did brilliantly to get to an All Ireland final last year because at times it seemed to be they were. And Waterford still have a hangover from Wa- Waterford's oh, yeah. hangover <laughs> is, is a bit longer than. Carol Carey mentioned what's going on with Waterford as well in his in his column in the paper this week. Basically, that just since Derek McGrath left it, okay, they got the league final yeah. under Parik Fanning. It's very much, is it still Derek? No, no, you can't. And Limerick have to be called on that as well. But our water for the case of, is it still half Derek McGrath's team and half Parik Fanning and tactics and everything like that game plan? But he said they've gone backwards since Derek McGrath's left and everyone's blaming Derek McGrath for keeping things tight with a sweeper and that leave these players go out and play. Well, they've been left go out and play. And And this (laughs) is what happens. This is what happens. The only way I'd describe it, that the defeat to Dipperary was a humiliating one. There's no... What is two thirty to one? What fifteen, sixteen? You know, it's it's not. Kerry got bit by less in the league. You know, Kerry are a different level. Yeah. Uh, they're they're not at senior championship level no. between Munster and Leinster. But you know, it, it's f- f- like we're we're obviously going to concentrate on Limerick. You, you know, it was just very disappointing that they'd made statements through the league. They'd played a lot of players during the league. Maybe there was an argument to okay, these lads have done very well in the league. Some of the players from last year um, didn't have the greatest league campaigns, you know, title tons, yeah. you know, but likes of Conor Boyle and a couple of more had very, very impressive league campaigns. Conor Boyle wasn't even under 26 going into the game. A lot of people talking about Limerick's, Limerick's panel over the last, last season and this season, how strong was the strongest in the country. Well, four of the substitutions they made were forwards and one was midfield. So, I mean... You know, I, 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 there was problems in the forwards. The, pro- there was the biggest thing for, for John Kiley and his management team on the day, there was problems everywhere. Mm-hmm. So you can't take off 15 or you can't take off 12. You can only take off four or five or five maximum. So, look, it was just a bad day at the office. That's what Limerick fans and Limerick players will be thinking and hoping in, in the case of Limerick fans. It all comes down to Waterford now on Sunday week and really that is, oh, as, John Kiley, as John Kiley would say himself, that's the bottom line. Yeah. And there's still a few games left and you really just want to get into the top four. Get into top that three. Top, top three. three. Yeah, you know, yeah. And, and five points got Limerick there last year and it got Clare there last year and yeah. got, or sorry, got Cork there and Clare finished on six. So, I mean, you you fascinating games. I mean, on the flip side, if Limerick do beat Waterford at, um, that Sunday, the, the game after it will be Clare and Tip. And Limerick will be hoping for a, a Tip win because if that's the case... You'll have tip on six points, three, three, three wins from three. And fight it out Effectively, for, have uh, top spot done and dusted. And you, you'd have, if Limerick beat Waterford, Cork, Clare, and Limerick on two points with two games to go. So that, that in itself brings up a fascinating yeah. thing. Or on the flip side, if Waterford beat Limerick, Waterford are back in the hunt all of a sudden from obscurity. And that's the beauty of the new championship too. Look, you've... It's imperative to win your first game, though, and that's what Limerick can be very disappointed about. Clare did it and Tip did it. Yeah. Cork didn't do it. But they've Waterford and, and excuse me, uh, Clare to play in their games. And they'll fancy themselves now, Cork, from being pilloried. And that's the only way you could describe it. They were after the Tipperary defeat. They're heroes again now. No? Exactly. We, what a difference. It's a strong tip team. Yeah. It's a, it's look, tip, tip have looked very good. Eminem mean, coming back in as coach. 
helping out Tommy Dunn with the coaching duties, the sheedy factor as it's called, as has been mentioned by everyone. There's definitely been a bounce temporarily this cha- in the first two games, put up huge scoring totals. So I mean, you've got to, you've got to admire Tip. But as I said, we'll focus on Limerick, and hopefully, you won't agree with me. Obviously, being a Waterford man, but hopefully, <laughs> they can they can get back on track against Waterford. And the only thing that will do really in my eyes is a win. And then you have Waterford to play Cork and hope for a Waterford Mir- win there, maybe. Miracle. Miracle we're talking now at this stage so, for yeah. Waterford. Yeah. <laughs> I think so. Over to the, the Oval Ball. So it was another semi-final defeat for Funster. Yeah, and it was... It was... Oh, I don't know. How do you... How do you ex- it, it was... The, depressing is the wrong word because it's first only sport. First half was good, but I think Munster came in an element of surprise with certain things they were doing in attack. They were using Chris Farrell as a battering ram for a lot, and it was getting them past the initial first Leinster defence, but Leinster cottoned on to that fairly quickly, and after 20 minutes, 25 minutes, that avenue of attack was gone, and look, Munster didn't look like creating anything. So they the seemed to play the Leinster's hands. A couple of coaches to come in and... Yeah, you're, well, that's, that's the reality now, is that Felix Jones and Jerry Flannery are gone, and they need to be replaced. Doug Howlett's gone. That wasn't a playing thing. Doug, Doug Howlett's gone back. He finished up with Cork Curlers because he's a performance coach of Cork Curlers, but he's left his finance job within Munster. So, I mean, that has to be replaced, but that's a business side of things. Um, on the field, yeah, as, as you said, you have two coaches that need to be replaced. There's not going to be any more players coming in. Nick McCarthy um, is coming in from Leinster, a very highly rated young scrum half. He actually came on for the last 15 minutes against Munster. At the weekend, he has he's been out injured for the last few months. Um, yeah, like Th- Tom Savage is writing about it, and he he's talking about Munster's attack in his, his weekly column this week, in the paper, and how instinct has a lot to do with it. So if the coach, he he feels there's definitely been progress made. It may not have looked at in recent weeks. One try in three knockout games isn't good enough, and you know it was a very tight game for a lot large parts, but Leinster completely dominated the second half. And Munster had no response. The concession of 13 penalties to Leinster's six was the catalyst as well. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't, against a team like Leinster, you can't be afforded, no. affording to give them that kind of attacking opportunity. As Johan van Graan mentioned in the post-match press conference, you know, there's a couple of little things that could have went Munster's way. Rory Scannell had a charge down. It could have popped up in, into his hands. He's a try under the post. You know, these kind of things... Joey Carberry put a lovely kick in behind, forced Leinster into a five-meter line-out, close to their own line. Tygburn gives away a penalty. Silly, silly things, but that's part of pressure as well and, yeah. and be brought on. So look, what happens next is anyone's guess. They've launched a couple of new jerseys today, so... What are they like? They're okay. Yeah. Um, the home one, I'm not sure. The description and lifestyle have given on the jerseys is something to behold itself. I'll leave other people to judge that. I'll only <laughs> mention it. So whoever's listening, if you haven't seen it now, have a look at Lifestyle's explanation of the it's design of the jerseys. About it? There is yeah. not about the the design of the jerseys, but the fact that the jerseys have been launched. The away jersey is lovely. I yeah. like the away jersey. Yeah, it's a navy kind of thing mixed in with red. The home jersey is just red. I mean, what shade of red now, Keen? I'm going yeah. to leave to everyone else's uh So do we think Monster are in this position for another couple of years? Look, it's very difficult to say. I mean, I, I think... But making it to a semi is a big thing. They've made it to two semi-finals. Okay, rightly, there's going to be negativity around. Oh, Munster have failed to win another trophy. It's 2011 again. But Munster have been beaten by Saracens, who are European champions. Leinster, 
in the semi-finals of Tottenham, Europe Saracens and obviously in the Pro Fiend Leinster, both away games. You know, I mean, it's very, very tough to beat these teams away yeah. from home. I'd argue that Munster might get pilloried for this. Munster are the third best team in Europe. They've been the third best team in, in the Pro 14 as well this season with Glasgow winning their, winning their conference just a couple of points. They're on a fairly similar level. You'd expect Leinster to beat the Glasgow even though the game's on in Glasgow the final this weekend. Yeah, Munster are missing a level that gets them to Leinster and Saracens. Is there a big gulf between second and third, do you think? Well, I think Leinster and Saracens are very, very tight. Yeah. And then it's, it's, there's, a, there's a gap, yeah. yeah. How big that gap is, I think, was reflected on, in both games. Um, but the gap can really, be closed, can't it? Gaps can be closed. Yeah. And it's going to take... I mean, I mean, you look a couple of seasons ago in Leinster when they, they, they had no one else but to appoint Leo Cullen. They didn't know what to do. Yeah. And Leo Culligan, Leo Culligan, Leo Cullen had a year where it wasn't great for Leinster and everyone said he was out of his depth and this and that and the other. Stuart Lancaster came in and he's coming from the head coach of England. His next job is helping as a coaching advisor or whatever his role is at Leinster to help Cullen along. That was a huge statement from Leinster yeah. and a very, very shrewd coaching appointment. But Leinster have the players. They have a, a solid stream of players yeah. coming through of a high level. I mean... The, the talk today is that like they're not even Rob Kearney isn't happy with his, the contract that's on the table for him so Rob Kearney is probably if things don't change fairly quickly leaving Leinster now Rob Kearney is a star, is Ireland's starting fullback Leinster's starting fullback but they have Jordan Larmer they have a hell of a lot of other talent there Keane Kelleher is going back from Connacht from, that is two years in Connacht going back to Leinster this year you know they, they, they've they've announced yesterday their, their exits their, their high quality players leaving mm. the province because they have the players coming through I, mean, yeah. I mentioned Nick McCarthy he opted to go to Munster because there wasn't a bad way no a lot of these youngsters won't stick around that's the yeah, well that's yeah. the other side of Leinster and, and you see Jack McGrath going to Ulster you see Jordy Murphy going to Ulster last season you've seen players from Leinster end up at Munster in recent they do have an overflow of players that's good for Irish rugby because these players are the pool is limited in, in provincial, but if they're of a certain quality, Connacht, Ulster and Munster will pick them up. Yeah. Munster's main aim at the moment has to be bringing through their academy players. They've lost a player to Bill, John, or Bill Johnson to Ulster. I'd argue that a lot more should have been done to keep Bill Johnson. I'm not in the inner sanctum of what Munster are planning, yeah. but a seriously talented out half for Munster and he's ended up at Ulster. Okay, you have Joey Carberry, you have JJ Henry, you have Tyler Blaindall, Ian Keatley's gone. Tyler Blaindall has had a fair amount of injury problems. I know he's very, very well liked within the Munster setup and is viewed as a leader. I know Munster fans would rather be keeping the likes of Bill Johnston, given that when he has played in the last couple of seasons, albeit a lot of injury problems have been his case, along with Blaindall. But when he played this season, he was impressive, started a number of games. You have to balance that up. Um, maybe Tyler Blaindall has more influence around the squad in a coaching capacity, which there's been plenty of talk this year. Look... Where Munster go, it's going to be fascinating to see what happens when, from the coaching point of view and who comes in. After that, we don't know. So uh, sticking with Leinster just for a second, mm -hmm. briefly, uh, do you think they'll win? I don't, see, I don't see any scenario where they won't. They're yeah. a better team than Glasgow. Like, I, I, Glasgow I, I, are basically at home. Glasgow are effectively at home yeah. in, in Celtic Park and Celtic's home stadium. Um, it's, going to, it's a tight enough pitch, so the crowd will be fairly close yeah. onto the... Crowd which could make a good atmosphere for Glasgow if they get a huge support, but, but it's Leinster, a strong Leinster team. If Leinster yeah. play well against every team, 
but Saracen they'll win <laughs> now I'm not saying that they need to play well to beat Saracen if they play well against the likes of Saracens they could still win yeah. so I mean look Leicester are top class out you'd expect them to get over the disappointment of losing to Saracens and land another Pro 14 title and then uh, over to the soccer I know there's been some nice stuff happening on the pitch but as usual yeah, look, we'll start with the positives yeah. first, with Limerick FC pulling off a very good performance to, to beat Cove Ramblers and, away. And a Limerick team which won on the weekend. And Limerick, let's get that out there yeah. first. Limerick beat Cove Ramblers 3-2. We'll get on yeah. to everything surrounding that in a minute. They were they went 2-0 up. Um, Darren Murphy, penalty and Shane Tracy. Cove came back to level at 2-all. And then Darren Murphy, another Darren Murphy penalty. Saw Limerick earn three points. And that was it for about an hour, I think of positivity around Limerick FC. <laughs> then the stuff with gambling, this indiscretions or what, Cove lodged a complaint with the FAI surrounding betting that Limerick were 49 favourites. A lot of money lumped on Limerick mm-hmm. before the game. I don't know whether that says something about Cove, whether it says, I have no idea. I'm not going to pretend I know the inner workings of where money's been put and why it's been put. If Limerick players, or if it's been leveled towards Limerick players, I haven't heard that, but... I'd imagine Limerick go out to win every game. Yeah. I mean, there's been an issue with the, another complaint earlier on the season surrounding Limerick-Shelburne game. That, that that report is with the FAI at the moment. Look, I, I, I don't know is the, is the simple answer to what's going on with the betting thing. I know there was a, a... Something was lodged by Cove, a complaint or highlighting an irregularity in better, betting, patterns, betting patterns surrounding the game. The FAI are investigating... So it's all just speculation at the moment, really. At the moment, yeah. yeah. Um, elsewhere, with Limerick, there's still no talk of new investment. Well, there's not been no further update of it. Um, and the players sort of strike notice last week. So if they and if they aren't paid up, and there's still talk in, within a PFA statement that some players still haven't been paid since March, haven't been paid what they're fully owed. Yeah. So Limerick are, have a situation where they're playing at home to Kevin Teeley this Friday night. And the players could strike. So we mightn't have a game this weekend, is that what you're saying? That seems to be the 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 situation in front of us, Keen. Yeah, that if they aren't paid up, I mean, they couldn't do it last week because they served a notice on Wednesday and you have to give a full week's notice of strikes and yeah. strike action. It's just another complete mess. You The ridiculous situation with Tony O'Donoghue after the FAI meeting last week asking... Pat O'Sullivan about this about that and the other Pat O'Sullivan was fairly oh I don't know what word to use at this stage but he was fairly um, insistent he said Limerick will be fine don't worry about Limerick and that's yeah. all he said to Tony I don't know and anyone who's been following Limerick Limerick aren't fine things aren't fine at Limerick no. things haven't been fine at Limerick for a long time Pat O'Sullivan is the main person that is taking a lot of flack for this, and let's be honest, it is. It deserves a lot of flack for it. Like, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not going to hide away from that. Like, Pat O'Sullivan has put in millions mm-hmm. of euros of his own money into Limerick FC, but doesn't seem to let go, want to let go, and think he's going to rec- recoup some amount of that money, which he's not. There's no assets. They don't own the ground. Yeah. The players they have, a lot of them young players, very talented young players that they are, they're not going to recoup huge money for him. They don't have any up-and-coming superstar like Shamrock Rovers had in their keeper, Gavin Bazinou, yeah. who was signed for Man City for €500,000. That's not going to happen with Limerick. Not currently, anyway. What does the man expect? I, I don't know. I don't know Pat O'Sullivan. I, I'm only judging what, what, what we're watching yeah. and what every week there's something new. 
hopefully the pay- the players are pay- paid what they o- they're owed. God knows at this stage I don't know exactly mm. what they're owed, and hopefully there there will be a game on Friday. Maybe that all this is taken away from what's happening on the pitch because yeah, there is look, some beautiful look, I, football. I've said it last week. I've yeah. said it the week before, and I've said it a few times. Already. Tammy Barrett deserves absolutely all the credit in the world for keeping things ticking over on the pitch. Where a he hasn't been able to bring in really anyone from a playing point of view of outside of locally and around yeah. Munster area. There's no budget, you know. All the players are semi-pro. You know, it's not a and he's and, and he's had to integrate a lot of a lot of young players with injuries, suspensions. And Limerick are sixth. Mm-hmm. There's six teams at the moment within a few points of each other in the first division. Then there's another four underneath that are a good bit off. Fantastic. Yeah. He's keeping Limerick in a playoff picture with all this going off on the on the on the outside. And Tommy Barrett's keeping things ticking over and just does deserve untold credit. I, I there's no words. To, to explain how difficult his job has been and how brilliantly he's done and, and a win down in Cove which isn't an easy place to play no, no. and this will come away with a victory with all this going on so there are the positives Tommy Barrett and what's going on in the field the hopefully negative. we'll know a bit more by next week so yeah that's the hope look yeah. you'd hope everything again as I said hope hope is the word we keep using <laughs> here long term like I don't know if Limerick FC are going to finish out the season I can't put a judgement on that if the players go on strike I mean that there will there will be no players. Yeah. You know, then you, you have points deductions and you, yeah. you you're bringing everything else into that. Exactly. And if players go on strike, okay, you, you play your 19s. Well, they'll probably go on strike as well. Yeah. So I mean, you you've you've just there's an untenable position as the owner of Limerick FC. He doesn't want to see it that way. Everyone else sees it that way. I don't know. Is there any much more you can say? But um, onto more positive. Yeah, Limerick news. We have some. Uh, Mountain biking. We do. I just, just no, first, before, sorry, first, but we'll Janesborough, three in a row. Janesborough, three Premier League titles in order to uh, finalise that, which they've an outstanding season for the borough. They finalised that last night with another victory. Soft Pike. Pike also won their game um, to win. They needed Balanti to do them a favour out in LIT. Janesborough won that game. It's, it crowns a stunning week for the borough. Like, I mean, they were representing Limerick in the Oscar Trainer, Oscar Trainer Trophy all season with their manager, Aidan Ryan. Over that team as well. They beat Kilkenny uh, District League in that final in Kilkenny at the weekend and then turned up on Tuesday knowing a win. They needed a win to still to guarantee another league title and pulled off a victory there. Look, you can't argue with it. I mean, it's tr- as you said, three titles in a row. Yeah. And it's a competitive junior league. You, you, when you just see Pike, like yeah. Pike have had a fantastic season, but they lost out to the, in the Munster. They were going for three in a row in the Munster Junior Cup, lost out in penalties to. A fine St. Michael's side, but bitterly disappointing for him. The game was on Jackman Park on Saturday evening. Bitterly disappointing for Pike. It would have been some achievement to get three Munster Juniors in a row, highlighting the good of, of how, how strong Limerick Junior soccer is. You know, and you also have, which is still going on, ongoing, the whole situation with the FAI Junior Cup, which is beyond ridiculous yeah. at this stage. But um, Regional United waiting to hear on their complaint. The FAI still haven't adjudicated on this. They were told on Friday, I think it was Friday, that they'd hear about it at some stage this week. So, what do you say about that? Really, really? There, exactly. Yeah, yeah. and to mountain biking very the, quickly. The get away from biking. the FAI. Yeah. <laughs> we watched, you know, Callahan, a local um, Limerick biker um, from Ard Patrick. He was competing in the British Downhill uh, Championship over the weekend and finished second. So, we've a 
article with Oshin, an interview with Oshin in the paper this week and up on sportinglimerick.com. And we also had Limerick uh, Cricket Club. Big win. Big win over Limerick City Cricket Club, the newly formed Limerick City Cricket Club. It was the first Limerick cricket derby since the 60s. I was told when yeah. I did a bit of research into this and Limerick <laughs> Cricket Club came out on top so there's three Limerick teams in the Munster League this year so we're going to have a few derbies so we're going to try and get out to seems to be a sport that's growing one. a lot in Ireland isn't it? It absolutely is you've you've an, Engli- an, an Englishman an Irishman captain in England at the moment in England are favourites for the World Cup Owen Morgan is captain in England to be the one, number one one day team in the world um, fine 2020 and Owen Morgan being a fine player himself look it's a, it's a growing sport um, you've a lot of foreign nationals coming in playing playing it playing there from anywhere in Asia and other countries likes of India Pakistan Sri Lanka where cricket is basically the biggest sport yeah. possible so I mean you, you've you've mentioned it's a growing sport in Ireland and we intend to keep highlighting it as much as can as we will with yeah. every biking as well and whatever the, minority, the minority sport sports. we will we will try and give every bit of highlighting we can possibly do brilliant so as always our sports content is brought to you through our partnership with sporting limerick where you will find more sports news minority sports news podcasts and video beyond the paper over on limerickpost.e or sportinglimerick.com john thanks for joining us more than welcome again looking at entertainment's news this week in eric fitzgerald's absence the indie stalwarts wedding present will play the entire bizarro album in full at dolan's this friday may 24th which uh, looks to be a promising gig as well in entertainments, Eric looks at the marquee, which will take to the Docklands next week, which will host Madness, Jenny Green and the RTE Concert Orchestra, as well as the Coronas and some support acts over the weekend. And you can stay tuned to LimerickPost.e for coverage on that and some updates leading up to the concert. And the main interview in the entertainment section this week, Eric speaks to the Derry-born Brighty Mons Watson, also known as Soak, as she follows up on her Choice Music Prize winning debut album. In the interview, Eric speaks to Brighty ahead of the release of her first song from the album, which came out uh, last, which came out in late April. And the Manchester-based artist will be performing at show the shows in Dolan's on May 29th. And we have a sample of her single Deja Vu from the second album. Also returned to Dolan's this Friday, May 24, is Jenny McMahon, also known as Jenny. Uh, her recent new single, Roses, Jenny has gone back to her folk roots, a paired back in the acoustic atmospheric sound played with a light touch, has evolved in her new music, writes Eric Fitzgerald on page 73 of this week's entertainment section in the Limerick Post. And even though he's not here today, Eric has kindly provided me with some audio from Jenny's new single, Roses, and here we go. Sometimes I So for all of Eric's interviews and entertainment news, you can check out the Limerick Post newspaper or visiting limerickpost.ie. I'm now joined by our arts editor, Rose Rush. Rose, thanks for joining me. How are you? It's really keen. Thank you very much Brilliant. for inviting me in. You spoke last week about a very busy week in the arts. How did it all go? Uh, terrifically well. A lot happening. Eric's giving you a snapshot on the contemporary music scene. Uh, for me, I'm going to look at the Irish Chamber Orchestra. They opened uh, on Friday. In last Friday in Wexford with the 
full-bodied production of The Magic Flute. Apparently it went very well. Artistic director Fergus Cheel was in Limerick for the concert edition that they treated us to in the concert hall on Sunday night. It was magnificent. Um, so a big crowd there? Huge crowd. Very, yeah. very well supported. Brilliant. And you don't know it's a Sunday night. Big game is on in Limerick. And um, and it was the concert edition. So these variables, you know, will people show up and, yeah. and cry for more? We certainly did. A stunning series of soloists. Terrific chorus. Many Limerick singers. Peter Whelan directed the Irish Aimbor Orchestra. Almost the full edition of the orchestra. We'd timpan. We'd flute, obviously. We'd, you know, baroque instruments. Very beautiful. It was a, it was a delightful. People just jumped up, standing ovation. And UCH as a venue for that is just perfect as well. It is isn't just it? perfect. Yeah. Free parking, orderly box office, many exits. It yeah. can handle the, the the big crowd. We 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 already came out of the interval, we were laughing, talking, laughing, talking about it. We were thrilled, and everybody so happy that the Irish Chamber Orchestra got our support. They're a busy company. The previous evening, Saturday, ICO and friends of the ICO, they held a tribute recital to their late boss John Kelly who died quite suddenly last year. He led the ICO for years. He had oversight of the build of their studio performance space, their headquarters, which is in quite a remote niche on Plassey grounds. There was um, a string recital there for him on Saturday, early enough in the evening. And again, people showed up in droves. Uh, it was a proper Brilliant. Irish wake. Mm. It was, it was a delightful occasion. The orchestra played, uh, or uh, an, a selection of the orchestra played with the, um, their community outreach program, Sing Out With Strings. So some older students were there as well with them in their lay clothes. And it brought a real sense of community to it. It, it gave us a sense of the vision that John Kelly had of, you know, music for all peoples. And they wound up then with a banging uh, rendition of his all-time favourite, apparently, the Orange Blossom Special. And then the building was dedicated to his name and his daughter, Sarah Jane, pulled the curtain on the plaque and his wife, Helen, was there. It's a lovely um, way to remember him as well, it isn't it? It was really, yeah. it, it just had a very good heart. Brilliant. Can I stick with the ICO for one you more second? You can sentence? indeed. They're coming to, um, where a lot of them live actually, in Killaloo for the Killaloo Chamber Music Festival. We're on board as media sponsor. Um, that unfolds over three days in um, in Killaloo, in St. Flannan's Cathedral. I have an interview with Joachim Rohr, the uh, long-standing artistic director. Uh, he talked to me about Barry McGovern. He talked to me about musicologist Dr. Michael Murphy, who will preview each of the big events with a talk relevant to the concert that will unfold. Um, and it all opens with the world premiere, another opera, Pimpinioni, from Deleman, and it's all inspired or held together by the theme chosen by Joachim, and that's uh, literary notes. greats, is it? Yeah, no, yeah. notes from literature. Yeah. And I believe you have your own podcast coming up. Yeah, I'll be meeting him on Monday, so I'll be having a chat with Joachim out in St. Flannan's Church. I'm really looking forward to see the motivation behind and the reason for choosing uh, literary greats as the theme for this year's. Great, and tell Festival. me, will it be radio only or will you do a video like? Uh, there'll be video as well, but uh, it'll be up on our SoundCloud first for a podcast mm -hmm. and we'll include a video on our YouTube channel after. So if you follow Limerick Post on YouTube, subscribe and hit the little notification button, you'll know when it's up online. Okay, great. And such a cinematic backdrop, St. Flannan's apparently. He loves the acoustics there. 
And uh, don't forget, if you can get in some of the visuals, there is a, a show exhibition curated. on at the moment. Isn't there? Yeah. yeah, no, not at the moment, but it will open with a show. Patricia Hazelbeck is curating works by Trish Taylor Thompson, who's involved in the festival. She was last year's chair, did a very, very good job. And by our own John Shinners as well. So if, Brilliant. You, if you could pan in, if the camera could pan into some of that. Work, I'll do that I for you, that. Rose. That's no problem. <laughs> great, 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 great. <laughs> Thank you. OK, that's not all that happened last week. Uh, I'd mentioned um, Marlon Hassofer's book, Killing Stella, a very famous yep. Austrian one. And uh, talking to you, I hadn't seen it, but I'd, you know, done some interview, read some notes. Bernadette Cronin is the artist who distilled the novella into a two-person show. She herself plays the wife, Anna, of a nuclear family, seemingly perfect from the outside. They're wealthy, wealthy enough to bring in a nanny. Um, she's married to Richard. He's very charming. He's very good looking. They have two healthy children. What could go wrong in this beautiful life they're leading in Middle Europa? Uh, I had thought uh, a murder was going to be at the scene of this. It's not. It's actually, it's darker. It's more macabre. What brought it home was the um, the wonderful way in which Bernadette Cronin staged it. They're sort of on a dais reflecting a, a clock. Okay. And that sort of, there's a tilt in it. Uh, so you already have sort of this seasicky feeling looking at it. And then it's surrounded then by um, golden ribbons. So already you get the idea of, you know, birds inside this gilded cage. Mm-hmm. It's a two person one, but the, the other performer is a cellist who is dressed sort of in moody clothes and plays quite a, a, a unique soundscape conceived for this. Um, dark cello music and she affects birdsong she affects children laughing she affects this older nanny brought into the house who who's given very 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 good reason to sob alone late at night so a really moving piece that has stayed with me many days later and I look back and I still shiver so I'd say it leaves a mark yeah it sounds re- really heavy yeah. as a topic uh, but so beautifully delivered yeah. you're just you're just looking and you're listening and you're thinking and you feel so much as does Anna, who looks back, not in anger, but in terror at what she was part of. And it took to the stage really well, did yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, and it's travelling around the country now. So that's Killing Stella by Bernadette Cronin. Lovely. What else was going on last week, Rose? Oh, my God. We'll, oh, yeah. Listen, let's leave last week alone. We're yeah. into this week. I want to pay homage to two things coming up. One is a friendly community piece with the Northside Misfits Community Drama Group. They're doing another of their world premieres that they devise themselves, led by the very able Karen Fitzgibbon. She's a phys- filmmaker also. LCETB funds this training program with the Misfits and the North Side. So they bang out production after production. This Friday's Love is The Woman in the Mirror. And it's a look at how we can become too intrigued by the idea of ourselves, how we present uh, and tweaking with surgical procedures, injectables, the the dark side of that. I haven't seen it, but that's what Karen has told me it's about. There's a message there for... And a lot of comedy out of it. I know this crowd, okay? (laughs) The other thing I would suggest that people attend to is a big show. It's going to be three hours and it begins at the very specific time of 7.42. That's, uh, it's a nod to the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. The Limerick-made product uh, delivered under the Bell Table Connect Theatre CPD program that's run annually in the Bell Table and it's produced some award-winning stuff. Um, it's called Don't Panic Towel Day. Every audience member is asked to bring a towel. And if you are a fan of Douglas Adams series, 
A Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, you will know why. This isn't the book or the film. It's the um, scenic production of his five original radio plays that led to all else afterwards. And it's got Limerick Tot name in it, mm. again led by Marquette Adolfo. That's a bit different to what people usually get at the theatre, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, they, and the, the sound engineer in this, he's a lovely fellow, his name is Phil Shanahan. He did a degree in LIT in Film and Audio Technology. And for his project, he specialised in audio production, leaning to science fiction radio drama. So he's ex- Phil is exactly the person to lead this. And he's got a huge range of sound effects pre-recorded. There'll be a lot done live in the night, and he's working with a team of Foley artists. They're the people like you, Keen, who come into a studio, and you screw up in jam jar, or you walk on a bucket of sand to affect his footsteps <laughs> crunching in gravel. Apparently, it's wild crack. So it's five radio plays. There's another 30 minutes for an interval. As he said, time enough for people to go out, have refreshment, come back in, and they'll have talked about what they like. Brilliant. That sounds like a fun one. This Saturday, I beg your pardon, let me credit the the venue. Obviously, it's the Bell Table. This Saturday, Friday, May 25, at again, 7.42pm. See you there with your towel. And uh, before we finish up, is there any other arts news, Rose? Yeah, two two lovely receptions. I told you about the ICO one for the late John Kelly. Uh, um, Angela's Ashes we were at, at the Savoy. We were all at Angela's Ashes at the Savoy, and we heard the gorgeous and fun Fun, fun, fun. She gave me a terrific interview. She is so open and so modest and yet has a keen idea of how privileged she is with respect to being career-wise. She's mm-hmm. self-managed. She's still in demand for cabarets and concerts. So she, she told me she'd sworn off musical theatre for several years. She and her husband, she's married to the musical director, Stephen Hill. You have to look him up on Wikipedia. His work goes on for pages. Adores him. Yeah. And she's she's very open about this in a sweet way. They waited a long time for their child, Callum. So she took years then out of musical theatre because she said, Rose, I have my child. I'm not going to do eight shows a week. I want to be mum. Mm-hmm. It's very and demanding. Delighted in that. Yeah. yeah it, it, you know, eight shows a week. I yeah. mean, think of the orchestra doing the magic flute in Dublin. Two matinees, Thursday and Saturday, as well as 8pm shows. Yeah. Crazy. So people in, in concerts and performance and musical theatre, they work very hard when they're full-time professionals. And she really loved her years out. And it's producer Pat Moylan who charmed her back in to fill the shoes and soul of Angela two years ago. Now, I had really ambivalent of feelings about going to see this musical before it was launched. I had interviewed Maliki McCourt. And Maliki's words to me down the phone from New York were, Rose, what is next? We're going to have a musical on the Holocaust? (laughs) So you can't but love the guy. Talk about straight up, no filter. So we go along. And Pat Moylan's production, Angela's Ashes, the musical, blows our socks off. You know, the crowd just jumped up to bring down the house on opening night. Thereafter, it, you know, went off like a lit taper. You couldn't get a ticket. Jacinta White flew in to honour the press reception for this year's news that opens again on July 18 for 11 performances and sang incredibly at it. Can I ask you, what did you think of her, her live performance there in um, the Savoy? It raised hairs on the back of my neck. There you go. Yeah. And she oh. said to me in an interview, everybody can sing a song, but it is the emotion you put into yeah. it that people remember and take That's it, away. she didn't just sing, she actually 
mm. played the part as well while she yeah. was singing, didn't she? Yeah. And that's hard work. She told me she was down on the loose doing her vocal exercises and rehearsing for a solid 30 minutes before the press reception. Nobody could find her. Yeah. Then she comes up and she fills the air with this incredibly heartfelt tribute to um, her. Well, she, was, she lost several children. This was to her son, her first yeah. son who died. So that was one reception. The other was far, totally off the scale. Four, four Limerick plays, or extracts from four Limerick plays, are being brought to life again by Sicilians. This is a, a training unit initiated by um, Chairman, Chairman Jason Roden, who's been badly hit by bereavement this week, full of fair respect. Uh, he initiated this last week. His colleague, Brian Henry, hosted a, a, a sweet press reception in South Bar. Mayor James Collins came along to officiate on them and hinted heavily that before he's term in office is up, he will honour the Sicilian centenary year, which is this year, uh, with a mayoral reception before his term of office is up. So uh, we met to hear of four new plays. I'll tell you more about that next week. That's going to be in Gwilskill Raheem, set aside the dates of June 5 and 6 for it. But Brian Henry was also able to tell the company that Sicilians have been nominated for four national, three national AIMS awards for their outstanding show, The That's Producer. Brilliant. Yeah. Uh, Dickie Donnelly. You were a big fan of The Producer when it was here, weren't you? Oh, God. It was yeah. just so good. It was so <laughs> good. You know, people... Sometimes I really, really love my job with it every post. <laughs> and Night of the Producer is... Only sometimes, not Rose. Not good funny. Not good funny. As you know, it's 90% perspiration. You'd be with me on that. Um, Jason Ronan was lead role as Leopold Bloom. He was hand in glove with Dickie Donnelly from Burr, who's nominated for Best Comedian for his role as the crop producer, Max Bialystok. And they are also nominated for Best Chorus and for Best Choreography. Brilliant. So their show was a knockout and we're very, very thrilled. And Limerick Post brings it to you first. And we're lucky to have places like Sicilians around that produce these shows for us. Absolutely. And you you talk about 90% perspiration. These are people who drive in from Kilmallock and Broadford to rehearse three and four nights a week and then and put on the shows for yeah. and then do lock yeah. in sort of re- they go away for a weekend and you know or rehearse all day Sunday it's extremely demanding they hemorrhage money to put it on and then their rewards are beautiful for us the public and for themselves with being you know such a thing. three three games nominations yeah. is stunning and we need the public to keep supporting them as well absolutely Rose thanks very much for joining me have a lovely weekend and all your arts news and interviews can be found on page 72 of this week's Limerick Post as well as on limerickpost.ie. Thank you. Thank you. So this has been the Limerick Post News Roundup. I'd like to thank Bernie English journalist for joining me today, Megan Scully, our arts editor Rose Rush, John Keogh Sporting Limerick and as always, for more news, sports, home and living, arts, entertainment and much, much more, visit limerickpost.ie or following the hashtag keeping limerick posted across all social media channels. We really are keeping Limerick posted.